1: but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy You got is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain. you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play
0: your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgianos and hello and welcome to america can we talk i'm debbie georgettis today on our show we're going to talk about the house speaker the new u.s house speaker mike johnson's first bold move i love it andy hopper who is a texas gop house candidate is going to be joining us via skype just very about five minutes a great great candidate want to share him with you and encourage you to support him biden fighting hard to destroy border security Uh, Truly, this is an Orwellian story. What happened in court with the Biden team, uh, and never again is happening again. And then finally, if we have time, I want to address something I've been hearing, which is Trump can't win. I hope we get time to talk about that topic also. But starting out very quickly, uh, you may recall the uh, there was a battle over the removal of Kevin McCarthy as U.S. House Speaker. In fact, Congressman Gates from Florida, uh, who led the charge, who made the motion, and uh, indeed, Kevin McCarthy was removed as House Speaker, and many people were very, very upset, saying it was a terrible time to do it because, after all, you know we're in the middle of budget uh, time, and we could have made some possible adjustment to the budget. We might have gotten a better budget and a terrible time to do it. Anyway, the, and there has been, then there was about a three-week battle over, maybe two, two and a half week, but battle over who should become Speaker of the House next. And so the Republicans have a slim majority uh, it's in, in the U.S. House is dwindling because of a variety of reasons, and so it have got a, a slim majority, and many people thought that now perhaps the boat should not have been rocked. And many people put their name up for speaker and they were considered, but did not uh, did not get enough votes. But now we have a new speaker, and this guy, I, I'm so excited about him, his name is Mike Johnson, and he's from Louisiana. And he's someone, when you fr- I first heard his name being floated, my reaction was, who is that? I've never even heard of the guy. And I'm pretty wonky following Congress. However, he has at least so far turned out to be a gem of a U.S. House speaker. Matt Gates is a little bit doing... Um semantic victory laps, just talking about the idea that many people questioned him, criticized him for moving to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, uh, for failure to follow through on some of the commitments he indeed did make during the time that there was a a battle over whether he would become Speaker, concessions were made, uh, and he, Matt Gaetz, saying that Kevin McCarthy did not meet them. The one I cared about the most, I think the tapes from July 6th, excuse me, from January 6th, should be released full to the public, no question. And I think they aren't being released because I think it makes the government look bad, makes the left look bad. And that was one promise that was not followed through upon. That was enough for me. But in any case, Mike Johnson came on board and he is a, uh, you know, uh, first of all, be speckled. He wears glasses. He's um, He looks very unassuming. But two uh, things I want to tell you I think are just great about this, and they, and they pretend well for Republican leadership um, over the next year and a half until we get to our presidential election next year. Uh, one is that he's a very uh, a humble and modest but uh, assertive Christian. Meaning, when he's asked, "What do you think about this? What's your view? How do you think about this?" that he um, he will often quote his uh, Christian faith and make reference to his faith. Uh, he often has a Bible with him, making reference to his uh, what drives him and, and what he believes, coming from the Bible. So, Jen Saki, remember that name? P. S. A. K. I. Jen Saki. She's the redheaded former house she was the white house spokesperson uh i think i was trying to it wasn't under obama it's just under biden in any case you know she left that job she now has a show imagine this on msnbc and she she has a talk show you know uh whatever it's called um inside with jen saki anyway she played a clip on her show talking about johnson describing himself as a bible believing christian And she sprung from that to say, not only is he dangerous because he's conservative, which you know most Republican voters are, and frankly, most of America is the way they live, but he's also dangerous, says she, because he's a Bible-believing Christian. She actually found that. She was trying to encourage her listeners to feel alarmed about the fact that a leader in the Congress, the leader of the House, uh, would be a Bible-believing Christian. Now, I'm going to tell you, she would never have said this if this person were a member of some other faith. If, she, if it was some other faith and some other book made reference to, she would never say that. But it is really telling that she views, and she's really quite prominent in left-wing circles, they view it alarming that the leader of the house, the house, the speaker of the house, is someone who actually believes what the Bible teaches. And you have to ask you, ask anyone, you know, America still is a, a Christian nation, or, or largely a, a Christian nation. So what is it people on the left, like Jen Psaki, think that you should be a Christian and have a Bible but not believe it? That's not how it makes you more credible. If you don't really believe the Bible, then you're a better uh, citizen. Yeah, Dubious. But the main thing I want to tell you, and, and I'm going to make a short shrift of this because I do want to turn to our guest, is the great thing that Mike Johnson did, one of his first moves out of the box after he became speaker, was to propose that funding to help Israel defend itself in this horrific attack from Hamas, from Islamic Jihadists, is that Mike Johnson suggesting that the House fund Israel to the tune of 14.3 billion, by taking that money out of what was to be allotted under the Inflation Reduction Act to the IRS, you know, the new IRS army of it's going to be 79,000 new IRS agents unleashed on the American public, you know, searching of course uh, you know, taxpayers, individuals, corporations, just spending time harassing American citizens over IRS tax issues, and you know, the left loves nothing more than to find more reasons to tax people and also to make you feel intimidated by the government. So Johnson's saying, let's take about 14.3 billion uh, from the um, you know from this funding that the Democrats tried to send to the IRS and put it to Israel. The second reason this is a brilliant idea besides just that it is getting after the the left for this lunatic and, and completely falsely labeled Inflation Reduction Act is that what he, Mike Johnson, is suggesting is that the funding from Congress uh, for Israel be separated entirely, or his word, bifurcated entirely from funding toward Ukraine. And as many people know, especially conservatives on the right side of the aisle, many people in America are deeply concerned about the billions and billions of dollars of American tax dollars being sent to the Ukraine, you know the the epitome, the you know the uh, picture of a money laundering country, money laundering operation country, with many high-level Democrats in this country and high-level Republicans tied to various entities within the Ukraine, appearing to benefit from the money going over there. We have all sorts of reasons to be suspicious about Zelensky, the head of the Ukraine, who is. You know, owns uh, wealthy, large homes around the world. Uh, has outlawed free press, outlawed other religions, shut down, shut down churches. The guy is no prince of democracy and freedom. He is, he is nothing like that. He is a very very uh, rough, coarse leader who has shut down freedom in that country and all over this Russia invasion. And and yet we keep sending him money lots of evidence to uh, wonder where, where where in the world that money went. Even Mike Johnson's been saying, you know, we should, we need to uh, bifurcate the UK, Ukraine and Israel funding. I and mean, he wants more accountability um, for the money that's been sent to the Kiev government um, as it fights Russia. And I want to close the first five by saying this, there were so many really funny headlines about that story. Funny, like as an amusing, by the leftist websites and media in this country, where they were saying, you know, the first thing he does, he challenges President Biden. Biden said he wants money to go. He's got one bill, he's putting the, all dumped into one pile Ukraine and Israel. And who is this upstart guy to dare to say we should separate the money to those two different countries? Very, very different issues, very, very different American interests in both those countries. But the, what I'm getting at is how entertaining it is to see these people in the media think that because Biden has spoken, no one on the other side of the aisle should raise a question, should say, "Hey, this this doesn't," should even question it. They were acting like like Mike Johnson was a misbehaving kindergartner who dared to challenge the teacher's rule about no gum in class or something absurd. They were just they were just wrapped around the axle. But uh, because he's saying we should be. Bifurcating, separating the money. Let's talk about the Ukraine and accountability there. Let's talk about Israel and protecting them. This is what leadership is. This is the kind of leadership people have been looking for in the Republican Party. They've been looking for people to be strong in Congress who speak the heck up and say what's true. Many, many American people do not want to send any more money and certainly any more military equipment to the Ukraine without a whole lot of accountability, and but there's been, we've been so far unable to draw that line in the sand. Now, I understand that Mike Johnson cannot st- set spending policy. He is going to run up against a wall of opposition when the bill goes over to the Senate, but I love the leadership. I love the assertion. I love the standing up for what most Republicans think. I'm just waiting for a leader to say, and that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. My guest today joining us is named Andy Hopper. He is running for Texas State House and he's running in House District 64, HD 64. We'll bring him on in a minute, but I want to do two things first. First, I want to play, there's a little ad that's on his, the homepage of his website. I want to play that to introduce him to you. Then I'm going to tell you a few more things about him, and then we'll bring him on. So let's play that. Do we have that clip? We do. Okay.
1: On the eve of the Texas Revolution, 59 brave men signed their names to a declaration demanding freedom from tyranny. Today, under the same blue skies, Texas citizens suffer crushing taxes, a border invasion, an overreaching federal government, election fraud, and children being sexually groomed, and even surgically altered. Who will stand against the tyranny we face today? The Texas Constitution states that all political power is inherent in the people, and all free governments are founded upon their authority and instituted for their benefit. So why did the Texas House of Representatives ignore the will of Republican voters and appoint Democrats to serve as committee chairs in the Republican-led legislature? Why are elected Republicans ceding power to Democrats that fight against our values? Liberty only remains if a populist demands it. Government is only held in check by its people. Freedom is a natural right bestowed upon us by God, but we must stay vigilant against the forces that erode it. I am Andy Hopper and I am running for Texas House District 64. I will stand vigilant. Together we can secure the border, eliminate property taxes, ensure election integrity and protect Texas kids. Together we can stand for Texas, our Texas. Stand with me.
0: We can cut that. I love that's a great ad. Really strong, really clear. I love it. And I'll tell you his website is Hopper, which is H-O-P-P-E-R, Hopper the Digit4 Texas.com, Hopperfortexas.com. And here in the great state of Texas, we have primaries coming up, so he's a primary challenger. Primaries coming up uh, in March, which is seems like it's right around the corner. I know it's really not yet, but uh, it's March 5th, our, our primaries here. And uh, one thing, a quick introduction of him. So um, this Andy Hopper is uh, someone very, very popular in conservative circles. Uh, he's among the founders of one of the popular conservative organizations around here. Uh, he's a small farm o- owner, which there's some amusing things on his website if you like to read about farm animals. A uh, member of the Texas State Guard. He's an engineer, a conservative leader. Uh, one uh, homeschooler, he and his wife have three boys. Um, And then as a cute thing about his wife, the last thing I'll do in introducing him, so they're actually high school sweethearts, which is kind of rare and fun. They met in high school, um, and they, they met in high school chemistry class. They married when they were 20 years old, and this is the funny part, on the same day that Andy graduated with his BS, his Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. Andy skipped the graduation. Since Hillary Clinton was the keynote speaker, you got to love that. Let's welcome to the show Andy Hopper.
1: Hey, Debbie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you going through all that. So you can spell. If you go to our website, you can spell it any way you want. I mean, you can put the four, number four, however you want to do it. It's going to get there. So...
0: Yeah, I know. I did that too in my, uh, my race. I'm doing it. I put four because it's kind of fun. But yeah, anything you put in will go. Okay, so I'm going to start with I meant to mention too that you ran for this seat uh, two years ago. This is a Texas State House. And, um, you know, we have Republican majority in this state, or at least Republican people with a uh, majority with an R by their name. But you ran for this seat two years ago. And tell our listeners, how close was that race last year, the primary?
1: I believe you know the, the research we've done. I think it was the closest race in the state, at least, uh, and in the Republican primary, it was 88 votes out of nearly 20,000 cast. So, it was it was 0.4 uh, percent, I believe.
0: Okay, that that's actually truly amazing, and it does as many people remind uh, at every single meeting about the importance of door knocking, you know, the races you you understand were won or lost by a small number of votes. Uh, It's truly amazing. So I do want to start with one of the issues you raise in your video and which I've talked about in this show a lot. And that is, in fact, we had um, Michael Sullivan on a Thursday show a few weeks ago talking about his film, The Texas Heist. And the basic point of it was the way we end up sadly with our republican speaker with republican majority in the texas house is the democrats band together they have whatever the number is they need only a small number of republicans to come over and join them and then they choose the speaker so we have have a speaker largely chosen by the democrats and this has been going on for years. And Republicans, every session, voters complain. Republicans say, oh, no, we're not going to do that again. It keeps on happening. So I know you, there are many issues to talk about. I want to start with, how can you stop that from happening? Is there a way?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I think that this is kind of a linchpin of, of Texas politics. This is, this is kind of what defines where we are and if we're going to move uh, advance our movement, <clears throat> we're gonna have to address it. I mean, we're one of the very, very few states in the entire country. I think we, you know, Matt Rinaldi's actually made the point that we're the only Republican state that puts the minority party in charge of any sort of committees. Um, and it's it's really disappointing because what it ends up happening is is it ends up being used, the speaker uses committee chairmanships as a bargaining chip to get to to entice Democrats to support him. And in so doing, we pretty much ensure that the most liberal member of the body, or one of the most liberal members, and without question, Dane Phelan is that man, um, becomes the Speaker of the House instead of someone that kind of represents the whole caucus. Um, so how do we get rid of this problem? How do we, how do we address it? And, and the answer to that is that is that, first of all, and I think this has been going on over the last couple of years, you have to get voters engaged and get them to be aware of the issue. And I can tell you that's a big check mark because door-to-door people understand that there is some issue. They may not understand what committee chairs are, but they know that the Republicans are ceding power to Democrats in the House. And they're mad about it because that's not what they elect. They elect Republicans to lead. They don't elect Republicans to put radical um, activists from the Democrat Party, people who identify as non-binary in charge of committees in the Texas House, which is what we have. Um, So that's number one, is getting the voters involved. Number two is we need a critical number of conservatives that are willing to stand together and move the needle to the right and actually advance this issue in the first days of session because there's a vote, Debbie, that is taken on the House rules. It's usually on the second day, third day of session. And that vote basically allows the members to basically define. how the body operates. And so in 2021. there was an amendment that was offered um, to. basically require that whatever. the majority party is that all uh, chairmanships. would be of that party composition Um, basically. disallowing the minority party from having leadership positions um that was actually a record vote and so you can go back and look at the 87th legislature and look at that uh that bill and you can actually see who voted against it who voted for it um and so it's interesting because there was only about um i think about uh, less than a dozen republicans that basically stood together on that issue but but that actually was transcendental because all of a sudden folks understood that most of the Republicans were in favor of putting Democrats in charge, and that that was that was a huge landmark thing because then people started becoming aware of it. And uh, this past session, uh, nearly the same amendment was put forth, and uh, the Speaker was prepared. He knew this was coming, and so he actually got a Democrat to get up and offer a point in a point of order, which is a parliamentary move. Um, to kind of uh, stymie uh, an amendment and to keep a vote from occurring, and that point of order asserted that this was unconstitutional, which is ludicrous. The assertion was made that the Texas Constitution prohibits political activity in the Texas House, which is patently absurd. I mean, for instance, redistricting maps are inherently political. The body of Republicans that um, have led the House in the, for the last twenty years, and they argued after the two thousand and ten redistricting cycle in Texas court that the process of creating political maps is inherently political. So they're 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 creating a fair amount of risk, right, by saying we don't do political things because now the Democrats could even challenge the maps. But that 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 point of order was made and then sustained by Dade Phelan with the help of his Democrats, uh, Obama donor. Our Obama uh, lawyer uh, Hugh Brady, who is the parliamentarian. People don't know. That's another insidious aspect of Speaker Phelan's leadership is that he put a, a radical Democrat in charge of the parliamentary uh, decision making. And that that also allows him to basically kind of stymie conservatives that want to bring forth um, conservative legislation or important role changes like this. So basically, there was no vote. Um, now, there is a mechanism to override the speaker, and that mechanism is that um, 10 members can actually sign a petition and basically say, we don't agree with the speaker's leadership, and then you can move forward um, you know, with, a, with a vote of the body to sustain or not the speaker's decision. Um, that, that vote only had 10 or that, that, that piece of paper, that amendment, had seven signatures at the end of the day. And so we needed 10. So how do we fix it? We need 10 conservatives. At the very least, we need to get through the 2024 primary with 10 conservatives that are willing to stand together. And you know, Debbie, I think if we have 10 that we'll find another five in the body, because I think that a lot of folks are spineless. And I think that they would do the right thing if they had cover. And I think that that's the biggest issue we have is that, you know, you see in Washington what 20 men can do, 20 men and women can do if they stand together and if they They fight for conservative ideals. And I think if we had the same thing in the Texas legislature, I think that we would see a quantum shift in the body. And I think that we would see some good things coming out of the house for change.
0: I love that, I love that. Great summary. I'm gonna just uh, do a a quick summary of that for our listeners, especially our Texas listeners. So the reason it matters when our speaker of the house and the Texas State House currently is Dade Phelan, when he appoints Democrat chairs, he is, I wanna make sure we're clear on this, is not just, Doing someone a favor, like letting them have a nice seat in the room or the comfortable chair, it gives them power. If Democrats chair committees, they end up being able to block legislation from getting out to the floor, or steer the way legislation is heard, or they. So it gives them a great deal of power to actually impact what bills are passed or not. So giving a chairmanship when you're the Republican Speaker, giving a chairmanship to a Democrat, you're agreeing that the Republican voters in Texas gave the majority of these seats to the Republicans, but. You you're going to let the Democrats block bills and you can also strategically block bills. You can decide, well, this bill, I'm a little bit worried about your dade feeling. I'm a little bit worried about how it might go, so I'll put it over here in this Democrat committee because it'll never go anywhere. So it's a strategic capacity for Democrats to block uh, legislation Republicans want. It also gives a lot of Republicans cover because they can say, well, you know, I would have voted for it, but you never got to the floor, what am I supposed to do? So it's a tactic, so your point basically is if you can get 10 or more conservative members of the Texas State House, even if there is, when a new, the new session begins, and there is an attempt to have the rule uh, passed that says the chairs of every committee must be the same party as the majority party, and even if this parliamentarian stunt occurs again, the 10 members or more could overrule that. That's correct?
1: That That's correct. And, and you know, just, and, and to... to, to to follow on with what you're saying, I mean, I think it's it's really interesting because when we saw Matt Gates, you know, bring up the idea that maybe we need to get rid of McCarthy and get a new speaker in Washington, you know, the naysayers were like, oh, no, you might bring the Democrats into the race. They may, they may get involved. They may back a speaker because they understand that as soon as the Democrats start throwing their weight around to dis- decide what Republican speaker is selected, you're going to get somebody that's basically in the middle of that Overton window between the far right and the far left in the body instead of someone that's in the middle of the Republican caucus. What's funny is is this is done as a matter of course. I mean, Strauss, uh, Joe Strauss and Dennis Bonin and now um, Dade Phelan have basically started session, and they they essentially figuratively go to the Democrats, maybe not so figuratively, and they say, you know, my name's Dade Phelan. I'm the worst Republican in this whole bunch. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll support you. What do we got to do? How, what do we sign? And they says, well, here's the deal. We're going to need something from you, Dade. And he says, here's some committee chairmanships. And so it's a deal that's struck that basically trades leadership positions for support. And once that's done, you only need a few Republicans to basically break. And, of course, since those the rest of the Republicans know that this guy basically has control of the entire body from the left to the right, they have to support him. And so uh, that starts the, the centralization of power. In the hands of the speaker, that is really—it's—it's um, it's unethical. It's—it's it's disgusting. And like I mentioned to you when we were talking earlier, if you look at the history of Texas, you don't see more than one or two examples until 1970 of speakers that served more than one term. But now you've seen an enormous amount of power centralized in the speaker, and that's really what we're fighting against
0: love that. I want to uh, switch to the topic of money a little bit. You know, I asked you in the phone earlier because you always see these reports about how much money the speaker has, the speaker of the Texas House has, and it's also true at the federal level. They seem to have a bottomless pit of money, and they can pass out that money. And so, in fact, we were hearing this story I forgot who was on the show recently. But hearing this story about why there are so, in Washington, uh, there are so many Democrats who just vote lockstep, regardless what they really think about it and anything, they vote lockstep. And the story being told was that Nancy Pelosi, as an example, she would call a potentially recalcitrant Democrat congressman in and say, you know, uh, this issue is coming and this is how I need to vote. And I have half a million dollars sitting over here. It's either going to end up in your coffers again in your campaign because you got a primary Primary challenger, or it goes to your primary challenger. How are you going to vote? Well, obviously, people, sadly, love power, and so the idea of holding on to your seat means, okay, okay, I'll vote this way. I don't like it. I'll vote this way because of money. Well, the same thing in your race. There is a this uh, throwing around of money by speaker. Uh, the speaker. Uh, the individual you're running against got uh, looks like $101,000 last year from the speaker last session. Well, what that ends up doing is you may think, well, but you know, it's just money, but it drives everything. How many mailers you can put out, whether well, you can put billboards out, can you buy ads? It changes everything. Talk a little bit, please, about the role of money in, this, in, in every race, but how in particular the speaker having a pot of money, how that shapes Texas politics.
1: Mm hmm. Well, I think it's uh, fair to say that in the past couple of years, you've seen Dade Phelan accumulate a lot of power and money. And I think that uh, there was an article some time back that actually said that Dade Phelan had surpassed Governor Abbott as the largest bundler of money for Republicans in the, in the state legislature. What's 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 really interesting to me is if you look at the TEC data with Texas, Texas Ethics Commission, and you look at that uh, and and kind of look across all the Republicans, what you see is they fall into one of three categories. You're either a large recipient of, of, of money from Dave Phelan. <clears throat> My opponent was in that category. He said he got over $100,000. Actually, I think it's accurate to say he received the most amount of money in the primary. There were other reps who got more money in the runoff, in the primary runoff, but uh, I think that was the record holder for the primary. Um, you either fall into the category of receiving money from Dade Feeling or you give money to Dade Feeling. So I, th- I think that the the way that that works is that if you happen to not have a primary opponent, then you're expected to give money to Dade Feeling. And I think the third category is folks that are kind of unaffiliated. And, and you see a, a, basically most of those are the conservatives. And so I always tell voters, you know, how can I decide, you know, who should I vote for, for whatever office? And, you know, if you don't know anything else, I'd say go to Transparency USA. There's some other sites out there, Open Secrets and whatnot. And I, I just advise them, go there and look and see who's donating to your, to your incumbent. Um, if they are funded mainly by lobbies and PACs from Austin or Washington, they're probably not your guy if they're primarily funded by local donors, and they are. But that, that, that question of you know, accumulating large amounts of money and then dangling over the head of, of, of the people that you know, supposedly are under your leadership is really insidious because they can do exactly what you've described. Um, they can go in there and basically say, you know, you want my support? You want to, you know, you want to get through this primary? i tell you what, here's how you vote. I think it's actually accurate for many, many um, districts. I mean, across the state, it's accurate to say that in many ways you're not represented by the guy you elected. You're represented by Dade feeling and um, I don't think that, I don't think you should should look at the TEC report of your representative and see that the Speaker of the House or the Governor of Texas is their main donor. I think that's extremely insidious.
0: It really is. You know, I didn't do uh, enough. Um And when I was introducing you to talk about what a leader you are seen to be within Republican circles, uh, especially in North Texas. Um, And I wanted to do that because you're not just deciding to run again. You came very, very close last time, but you're running on issues and you're running on uh, really trying to what you have to say, what you talk about when you speak, what you put on your website. These are the issues that drive Texas conservative voters. It's Republican voters. They don't like the taxes going up and up. They do want the border enforced. They don't like children being groomed at school. They do not like federal government overreach. They, and they're really, really concerned about election fraud. And you're seen uh, not just as a leader in speaking about those things, but encouraging and finding other people to run to try to help restore the conservative um, majority mindset uh, within the um, Texas legislature. So I really, for everyone listening, this is a kind of campaign where you know the other primary, the the incumbent's going to have a lot of money coming from, uh, likely a lot of money coming again from the speaker and from these lobbying groups in these unseen lobbying groups that you don't, you know, they don't put their they don't go front and center and buy billboards and say, hey, we're, you know, Texas for lawsuit reform. We put X amount of dollars in this guy's campaign, that guy's campaign. You have to dig to find that out, who is funding them and what that entity is all about. So I, I do want to commend you for just your leadership and, and running for the right reasons. Um, and do. so I wanted to hit, I guess, maybe you're, I know you have a bunch of issues you care the most about. Let's just talk about, um, which one? Um, the border. What do you think, if you get to the Texas legislature, uh, what it has to happen, the Texas, the completely unenforced Texas border, what has to happen?
1: Mm-hmm. I think the main thing that, that is one of our obstacles, and I think it's partly ideological, but I've heard you talk about it um, in other forums, is I, I really think that we're in a war with the globalist agenda. And I think that you have to assume after decades of this conversation on the border specifically, that there are a large number of people that uh, exist at every level of government that are globalists. They don't believe that, first of all, Texas retains a sovereignty sufficient to be able to secure its own border. But secondly, they don't really believe in American sovereignty either. Um, They really uh, identify with this agenda of open borders. And so I think number one is, like you said, I think we need enough conservatives to basically pull that Overton window to the right and kind of get back to the idea of what our founders imagined, which is the fact that, you know, should the federal government fail in its duty, and they absolutely have. In fact, I can't actually name one area where the federal government is succeeding right now. Um, in many cases, they are our adversary, um, especially on the border when they're not just cutting concertina wire, but when they're, you know, being found to actually facilitate, encourage um, this illegal invasion. Um, I think that. It is the it is incumbent upon your state. I mean, that's what our founders imagined, is that in you know, Federalist 26, they mentioned that the state legislature should always be suspicious and vigilant guardians of the liberties of the people against the encroachments of the federal government. And, you know, and they, that, that the legislatures are supposed to be the arm and the voice of the people. I don't feel like our legislature is the arm and the voice of the people. I think that they have basically decided they're going to succumb at every level to you know this this mad rush and push to the surrender of sovereignty. I mean, when you look at the number of, you know, Green New Deal type bills that, you know, classify or treat carbon as a pollutant that got passed by a Republican legislature, when you look at the fact that, you know, 20% or more of the bills that were passed mentioned state US statute in state statute, which you should never see. You should hardly ever see federal statute mentioned in state statute. But that's what you're seeing you're seeing an erosion of our sovereignty and a lack of recognition that that sovereignty ever existed and um, so you know i'm a firm believer of restoring our 10th amendment rights and i think that you know achieving operational control over the entire texas border is key to that and i think it's a matter of political will i think that people died for our state and the soil underneath our feet and i think that if we don't secure it i mean shame on us
0: Andy Hopper, I knew I would enjoy this interview. Um, For our listeners, Andy Hopper is running for Texas State Legislature. It's HD, which is House District 64. His website is hopperfortexas.com. And as I say, he's a leader, he's outspoken on issues, and uh, a change is most definitely needed in this district. So if you're listening and you're anywhere in Texas and you're thinking I should get involved somehow, the primary next year is March 5th, and prior to that primary, doors need to be knocked, phone calls need to be made, mailings need to be sent. So if you want to volunteer, I'm sure if you go to that website, hopperfortexas.com, you'll find a way to do that. And this is a great candidate to support. And Andy Hopper, thank you for taking the time to join me today.
1: Thank you, Debbie. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you, sir. Okay. And actually, it's a great segue to the next topic, which is, um, I I find this, I truly want you to, to picture how crazy this is. You know how that there have been studies over time about children getting desensitized to violence and so they watch enough violent video games and then in real life they can't process or seem to care about real violence they've seen of it seen so much of it we are being desensitized we american citizens to the lawlessness of this administration, to the lawlessness inherent in America. In particular, we're gonna talk about next has to do with uh, what Biden is doing, the Biden administration is doing. I call this Biden fighting hard to destroy border security. And you think, well, he's not trying to destroy it. Yes, he is. So I gave a speech recently at a conservative um, organization And someone who came up afterwards, was telling me the story. She had just been down to the border. There were a group of people went down there. And she said, she's literally describing, she said, as far away as I am, she's standing there from the stage, maybe 40 feet max. She said, we could look and we could see what America's border officials were doing which was the border officials, our U.S. officials whose job is to protect the border, were down there with gigantic, you know, clippers, wire clippers, cutting open the barbed wire fence that separates the Mexico, that's on the border, separates Mexico from America, not only slipping, you know, cutting, cutting, cutting to open that fence, but encouraging the illegal aliens standing on the other side, come on in. And I know you might be thinking that didn't really happen. Well, not only does it happen, it is so common now that it was a subject of litigation and our extremely wonderful Texas State Attorney General, Ken Paxton, filed a lawsuit. He filed a lawsuit basically complaining that the Biden administration is intentionally removing border security measures. And so this finally went um, to court Uh, on October 27th. He asked the court, Uh, This is Attorney General, our Attorney General, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, uh, asked the court uh, for a restraining order. That means asking the court to make an order to tell someone, you can't do that anymore. That's what asking for a restraining order is uh, against Joe Biden's administration who are taking down border barriers and cutting through barbed wire in order to increase the flow of illegal aliens. And the judge finally did issue the temporary restraining order, telling the Biden administration to stop doing this, stop destroying the border protection um, and to, and by the way, everything I'm talking about, I always provide links on our website. So you can go read these stories yourself. You can go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, read these stories yourself. Because I think when you read them, you realize, okay, I know, because believe me, you don't see these stories covered in mainstream media. You're not going to see these stories covered on the alleged, you know, mainstream media, which is just left-wing mouthpiece media. You know, it is the, the Biden administration, left-wing echo chamber media, which is pretty much all of it. But this is actually happening. A judge just issued the order yesterday to the Biden administration saying, stop destroying border security. And I just want you to think about that. I could tell you more about the case, but I just want to say, just plant this seed. If anyone told you in America or any country in the world that the government, the duly, well, okay, they weren't duly elected, but the people who are allegedly in charge of the country, the Biden administration and their officials, Department of Homeland Security, border officials would be banded together in court fighting to continue the practice of destroying border security, you would say, "Well, that wouldn't happen because people, you know, government's job, number one job, or at least top ten job, is to protect the, the sovereignty of a state, to protect the sovereignty of a country." The Biden administration is actually in court complaining that the Texas people won't let them destroy border security. I mean, people, if you need any further, further evidence that the Biden administration is not only unwilling to protect America, the Biden administration is facilitating the destruction of America. It is that stark, it is that plain, it is that undeniable. There's no reason, and in fact, anyone listening to this, if you can tell me a good reason why the Biden administration should be in court demanding that they get to continue destroying border fencing, border security, please email me and tell me what that good reason would be. Why would the Biden administration think this was okay? You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com if you've got a good reason, but I'm completely serious. This is utterly indefensible, and the Biden administration at this point is so lawless, so so completely immersed in their destroy America agenda, as our guest Andy Hopper a few minutes ago was talking about, because they are globalists, because they don't believe in American sovereignty. They don't believe in the unique greatness of our country. They want to destroy our country. This is what we're actually watching right in front of us. And we have become, the Biden administration, so outrageous, so destructive, so intentionally harmful to America, and yet somehow we feel a little bit puzzled or somehow the media doesn't want to report it, doesn't report it. I'll tell you one more thing before I turn to my next topic. So um, I gave a speech in um, Colorado over the weekend, the Colorado Federation of Republican Women. And uh, it was—they it was, have their annual um, convention, and I was—it was lovely to be invited as a keynote speaker. It was a lovely event. Really smart people, you know, talking away about you know um, the country. And uh, I gave a speech about why I'm running. I am running for Republican National Committee woman for Texas. Quickly, I'll tell you that website, debbieg4rnc.com, debbieg4rnc.com. In any case, so I'm giving this speech about America, preserving America, the border, blah, blah. And I I had one person challenge afterwards, just basically saying, you know, I mean, you're talking about the dangerous mission of the Biden administration and the effort of the radical left, you know, led by Obama originally, um, and, and even before him to essentially destroy America as founded, to fundamentally transform from America into a Marxist nation. But this person said afterwards, but there's so many good Democrats. I mean, they can't all be on board with this. I mean, they're really nice Democrats and someone would probably help us make really nice laws. If we just work together, you know, really nice laws and and, and solve problems. I mean, we we can't treat them as all bad. Again, do you know one Democrat in the entire U.S. Congress, House or Senate, Speaking up and saying this is really terrible border policy because the Biden administration's border policy is to not enforce the border. Do you, can you name one Democrat? Tell me how you can say the left isn't on board with Biden's agenda to destroy America when no one in Congress speaks up and says we really better get a handle on this. Uh, we really better be looking at DHS and be looking at Mayorkas. No one on the left. Says a flaming word. No one says a word as the Biden administration destroys America. And it is not, this is without dispute. This is not with two ways of looking at it, it might be a really good idea to abandon the border. If you believe in the sovereignty of America, you would enforce the border because they not only won't enforce the border, but they're in court yelling about the idea that they're outraged that somebody else is trying to enforce America's border because they want to continue to destroy border security. I mean, people, this is the craziest. This is, I mean, George Orwell wouldn't believe what we're going through right now. He would hear this story and think, well, we're never going to go that far. This is where we are. This is the serious times in which we live the Biden administration is trying to destroy America right before our eyes. Just this one issue alone of failure to enforce the Southern border is proof without question. We'll talk about that more. In fact, I have some great border experts coming up soon in the show, but I want you to just, I mean, I, I read that story and you tell me what's the good reason for what they're doing. Okay. I want to hit, uh, tell you one quick thing about, um, on TV. on uh, TV carries this show. I feel very blessed, very honored, very grateful. And uh, one thing I want to try and encourage you to do is to go to on TV. It's Brideon, like B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N, Brighton.tv. They carry many shows with strong, conservative, thoughtful, substantive hosts including myself, of course, along with Ann Vandersteel, and many others, check out their website, look at the products they sell, look at the shows, subscribe to things. This helps them grow. They are part of the grassroots movement in media, trying to overcome what the left has done to media in this country. They are trying to fight for the right of speakers like myself, hosts like myself to put out truth and people like you listening to hear it, to get to hear it and process it. So I encourage you to support Broadway TV. Okay. So now I want to hit two other quick stories. Uh, one is um, I called it never again is happening right now. And you know, that would never again became the slogan after uh, the world's troops discovered the Holocaust discovered what Germany had been doing uh, over many years to the Jews, and and you know discovered the concentration camps. I think I, tol- I told on the show. My husband and I earlier this year had the trip of a lifetime. He we went to uh, Europe, and we tra- we, f- we follow the path of the Band of Brothers, which were American troops who trained in Georgia, went over to England. They were with Eisenhower. They ended up. They didn't. They were not ones who were, um, you know, climbing the cliffs of Normandy. They were shooting in behind, but they fought at Normandy and all the way across Europe, finally getting to the Bavarian Alps, uh, where they, you know, Hitler's hideaway. And so we, anyway, in the course of that, uh, we saw one of the concentration camps, uh, which is, and and several of them have been saved and displayed. The horrors of Nazism, the horrors of the anti-Semitism was just, 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 it was an evil, like a cancer, spread throughout that country. The mindset of many Germans, of the mil- of the German military, of the German government, just just you know, evil to its core, anti-Semitism, irrational anti-Semitism. So that's what we, the slogan emerged, never again, meaning, call out early when you begin to see signs of anti-Semitism. Never again allow a, a government like the Nazi, the Germans did, where they isolated a certain group of people and they treated them differently. And the, and you know the stories go on and on about how you know, one law got passed, and they say, well, you know, the, the Jews now aren't allowed to own their own businesses, but that's okay; that they're still free. It's okay. They allowed the government to pick on one group take away their rights. And then they had to wear, then they couldn't own their homes. Then they got moved into uh, these, these horrific ghettos. And then they had to wear yellow star on their clothing as when they left their homes. I mean, this was evil, unimaginable evil. And so the world took on the slogan, never again, to awaken us to what occurred in Germany. So we don't ever get to that point. But let me tell you a few stories about what's happening in America. Because Hamas, which is, which is driven entirely entirely by the teachings of Islam and, is, and Islamic Jihad as a duty of loyal Muslims, Hamas, the terror organization, evil, evil terror organization attacked Israel on October 7th, total surprise attack. You know, apparently, I mean, questions about whether Israel should have known it was coming, but in any case, you know, murdered in their homes, babies, mothers, innocent people, elderly people, something like 1,400 people in Israel slaughtered overnight on October 7th by Hamas. And this, and because Hamas is driven by Islamic jihad, and because Islam, from the time of its founding, in its Quran, in its very beginning, and all throughout the time it's existed, the um, God of Islam, Allah, you know, in the Quran, allegedly has told Muhammad to write down the idea, uh, and have the core teaching of Islam that is that loyal Muslims must want to kill Jews. Jews are written about in the Quran and later Islamic teachings as pigs, as second-class citizens, as non-humans. This is how, in the core teachings of Islam, this is not just a few whack job extremists who, who lost track of what the teachings were. This is what the teachings of the Quran and later Islamic doctrines says that Jews are second class citizens aren't even people are to be treated like dogs. That teaching continues today in many facets of Islam. And so this led to Hamas massacring Israelis in their home homes. So that was terrible. America, you know, everyone's sorting out what to happen. America is trying to support Israel, or at least the Republicans and conservatives are trying to support Israel. Unclear, really, how, where the Biden administration comes down, kind of mixed messages coming from them. But in any case, Victor Davis Hanson, one of the best writers, best writers in America, Victor Davis Hanson had something. It was actually just a long tweet, and the tweet is called, Our Immoral. Monsters. I linked that tweet at our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America talk.org Go to that website and on the home page under shows, drop down list of links, I linked to this tweet. And the reason I did that is way too long to read to you. But what he is accounting for, what he's describing here, Victor Davis Hansen, is how this utter evil of anti-Semitism is on the rise in America on America's campuses. So you had at UCLA a bunch of pro-Palestinian people, students, marching saying, Israel, Israel, you cannot hide. We charge you with genocide. Now understand, Israel is trying to fight back against Hamas, which controls the Gaza Strip. And the Gaza Strip residents, voted uh, to have Hamas be their government. The citizens of Gaza voted to have Hamas, it was like 2006 or eight, whatever it was, voted to have Hamas become the government of Gaza. And Hamas, an evil, murderous, just, you know, barbaric organization built military facilities in Gaza underneath schools and underneath hospitals. So in Israel, to fight back after being attacked by Hamas, to fight back and root out these evil Hamas people, the only way to get to them, you, get, you end up having to decide how to get to them given that their, their, their supplies, their entire facilities are underground underneath hospitals and schools. And even though it was later determined that it was actually a misfire by uh, the Hamas people and a hospital was taken out, and I think it was 500 people were killed, the world's contortion that saying Israel suffered this unprovoked attack, but they dare fight back and any innocent citizens of Gaza are killed, then that is what's driving these kids at UCLA, these juvenile, you know, Kindly, uh, Limbaugh's term "minds full of mush," ignorant, you know, poorly taught students at UCLA are chanting this. Similar thing happened at Cooper Union campus in New York. Fifty Jews were locked in the library to protect them from raving pro-Hamas protesters pounding on the windows, zombie-like in their hatred, and and then you had BLM, Black Lives Matter, which is another anti-American leftist organization actually put out a poster praising the Hamas attack on Israel. I'm getting around to saying, we say never again. These are the kind of things that people talked about, that once this starts in a society, there must be massive, massive condemnation. UCLA, Cooper Union used to be expelling all of these students. No let's have a, you know, peace and love talk and try to come to common ground. There's no common ground with someone who thinks that you're going to defend the Gaza Strip, Hamas elected people who thrive on and believe in the idea that all Jews must be killed, that Israel must be destroyed. Other similar thing that these people were chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That is intended to mean that all of Israel will be under the control of, the, of, of Muslims, of Hamas or other Muslims, and that every Jew in that area will be killed. This is the point of that chant. This is going on in America. And if you're not worried about it, then you're not thinking very well because our country cannot even begin to go down this path. We have to have such harsh condemnation, especially from this president, especially from the Democrat party that is constantly expressing more sympathy for the residents of Gaza than they are for Israel itself. Israel had a great ally in President Trump. They'll have another great ally when he's back in power. But right now you have this leftist government that shows very little concern for Israel and a lot of concern for Palestinians. And I, I avoided saying that word Palestinians in this whole segment, because to be clear again, Palestinian is a concocted word used by leftists to engender sympathy for the residents of Gaza. There is no such thing as an ethnic identity as Palestinian. No such thing, a concocted term. It's a biblical term used with reference to that area of the world occasionally and then used in maps of the world, but the residents of Gaza are not the Palestinian people most of the residents of gaza although the recent thing i was reading about they're, they're arabic they're arabic they're muslim and they're mostly jordanian or a significant plurality are of jordanian um, extraction there's not a there's no such thing as a palestinian ethnicity it's it's a, it's a made up word I'm saying all of this to say is made up because it contorts and twists you into thinking things um, that they are, that they, the Palestinians are a, a, uh, a people being mistreated by uh, the Jews in Israel. If Israel dropped its defenses, if Israel just said, we're putting down all our weapons, the country of Israel would be destroyed and every Jewish person in Israel would be dead because this is what Hamas and all other Islamic jihadist organizations live to do. So if Israel dropped their weapons, Israel would die. All the Jews would die. If the if Hamas and Hezbollah and every other Islamic organization in this world agreed, which they don't, but agreed that Israel has a right to exist, and they put down their weapons, there'd be peace. It's really important to ponder that. It's really, really important to ponder that. The only way to peace over there is for the jihadists to put down their weapons, and they will not. They will only stop their offense, only stop their conduct when they're faced with brute force. It is sad, it's unfortunate, and it is reality. Okay. One, the quick thing I want to turn to today, I call this uh, "Trump can't win." Okay. So I told you I spoke in Colorado. It was really fun, by the way. My husband came with me, and um, there was a. Um, we were hoping for fall leaves. We thought, "Oh, this is great! You know, i see some fall leaves." Uh, there was a snowstorm. It was cold. It was snowing. Uh, my husband had to scrape off six inches of snow off the car on Sunday morning so we could drive back to Denver, to the airport to fly home. So, but anyway, it was a blast. Spoke with the Colorado Federation of Republican women. And one person came up afterwards and she was, you know, talk, and a lot of people came up and talked. It was a blast. We just had a great time with these people. The Southern came up and said, what do I say to my friends who say, But well, you know, we can't have Donald Trump. He can't win. Trump can't win. We can't have him because he can't win. So I wanna show you first a poll. And this is from, I sent to a happy Emilio, look at this poll. This is a poll of voters in Iowa, who they want within the Republican party. As you can see, if you're staring at the screen, you can see the overwhelming plurality and near majority of voters, Republican voters in Iowa want Donald Trump. I mean, the next highest, Trump 43%, Ron DeSantis, 16%. So, you know, it's just like, I mean, Trump is more than double what DeSantis supporters have. Nikki Haley is tied. In fact, Nikki Haley just went ahead of DeSantis in the national polling. She's apparently pulling ahead because DeSantis is just dropping like a lead balloon, you know, then goes down. Those numbers are smaller, smaller, smaller. Uh, And my point in showing you that is that it's time, I think, for many Republicans, he can come back to me, to stop arguing about how can Trump win? He can't win. To realize he's the only one who can win. Please understand. I will support whatever, whoever wins the Republican nomination for president, but Trump's the only one who's going to win. There is no one out there who's gathering the steam. No one's gathering the crowds and no one out there comes close to what Trump can do when he hosts, holds a rally, which, by the way, I meant to point out, did you ever think about, did you ever attend a Biden rally? Have you ever seen a Biden rally? Have you ever seen, you know, even a, a small crowd show up for Biden? Literally no one shows up for him. Biden could not gather 10 people. if he was giving away ice cream cones because no one really wanted him. So when your friends say to you, Trump can't win, you need to be ready with answers. I'm going to be talking about this more and more over the next few weeks. You need to be ready with answers. Not only can Trump win, Trump is the only one who's going to win. He's the only one. And he stirs people up And it's because he stirs passion for America. He's the only bold one standing up the le- against the left's destruction of America. He's the only one calling it out. He's the only one pointing out that the, the Biden administration has abandoned the southern border. Other people tiptoe around, well, well we could probably fix it. They, they have, there's no passion, no fire, no no just, just determination to stand up for America and any of the other candidates running in the GOP primary. Trump is talking about border. He's talking about we're going we're not having socialism. We're not having central bank digital currency. We are going to restore our military to its former strength and glory we are going to hold on to freedom and free markets. We're gonna fight globalism. We're gonna fight world economic forum. Trump's the only one saying this. And the American voters, Republicans are trying to say to America, He's the only one who can possibly help our country come back. He's the only one. So I say all that to say to you that I, as we go forward, you'll see more and more stories about, well, Republicans are screw, you know, screwing around, you know, they're kind of chasing down. Maybe there's one more candidate. No, no. Tomorrow's November. Tomorrow's November. The primary is in March. And these people, in the, the slide I just showed you, all the Republicans. They they may be great candidates in 2028. 2028 might be DeSantis' year, or I don't even know, Chris Christie, just joking about Chris Christie because no one likes him. But, you know, there may be some of the other candidates who can emerge and do a great job and run in 2028. It's time for voters in this country to realize Trump is going to win the primary unless they kill him, which I'm sure the left is thinking about it, but he's going to win the primary and he's going to be our candidate. And we have to fight back against every foolish argument that he can't win. He's, and by the way, as I've told you many times in this show, he did win in 2020. The idea that you think Biden or someone thinks Biden got 81 million votes when he can't get 10 people to stand still in a high school auditorium to listen to him. I'm sorry. It didn't happen. The evidence of election fraud is overwhelming. Trump won in 2020, and he's the only one in 2024. And I think the sooner the party stops playing games with all the other candidates and just recognizes this is what the American people want, this is what the Republican voters want, the better off we'll be. Okay, I went a little long, and I know that we're past our ending time, but I'm going to quick tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, we start our show today. Excuse me. House Speaker Mike Johnson's first bold move. Speaker's proposal carved $14 billion out of the IRS funding to aid Israel and possibly Ukraine. But he's saying Israel and separate Ukraine, bifurcate Ukraine. This is long overdue from opposition to Biden wrapped in tactical brilliance. This is long ago, firm opposition to Biden wrapped in tactical brilliance. Jen Psaki is frightened by Johnson as a man who studies and learns from the Bible. Every founding father honored the Bible. That's why the declaration says what it says. Speaker Johnson is aligned with the mainstream of America. Jen Psaki is not. Speaker Johnson's election massively vindicated Matt Gates. Gates may not have predicted Johnson's emergence, but taking a stand against McCarthy was a stand against ruling class, deep state elitism. Gates' courage enabled positive change. All the GOP is in chaos talk has disappeared and the Dems are in panic over a speaker unafraid to voice principled, firm opposition to their agenda. And we talk about Biden fighting hard to destroy border security. Texas AG Paxton had to file a lawsuit to stop the federal government from cutting Texas border wire. Again, Texas Attorney General Paxton had to file a lawsuit to stop the federal government from cutting Texas border wire. There's no conceivable pro-American justification for what Biden is doing at the border. Overwhelming majority of Americans do not want what Biden is doing at the border. Yet every Democrat remains in lockstep support of what Biden is doing. Americans must storm the ballot boxes in November 2024 to stop this invasion. And never again is happening again. Parallels to Germany in the late 1930s are unmistakable and deeply disturbing. Humanity's global World War II rallying cry after discovering Auschwitz and other camps was never again Yet find and kill the Jews because they are Jews is a theme visible in many U.S. cities. Appears to be the thinking of a pro-Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. U.S. college campuses are cesspools of Jew hatred. College leaders are largely passive and ineffective in reversing this malicious and malignant thinking. Millions have virtue signal disgust with why the German people did not speak up in 1939. Where are those people now? anti-semitism is rooted in secular intellectualism's hatred of the god of the bible a world governed by secular intellectualism is a dark and dangerous place and don't be and then on trump can't win spare me don't be taken in by the media narratives about anything trump won in 16 2016. he won by an even bigger margin in 2020. You must read the work of Dr. Douglas Frank if you don't know this. Trump will bring in millions of new voters of all kinds that no other candidate attracts. There's no part of the Biden agenda that a majority of Americans support. Not even the wine-sipping soccer moms constituency wants an open border or threats of World War III or trans ideology. There's zero chance Joe Biden received 81 million legitimate votes in 2020. Where are the Biden rallies, reflecting the most popular US vote getter in history? Uniparty Deep State knows Trump can and will win. That's why they're trying to put him in jail. Americans are not Trump sycophants, they are American patriots. And That my very fine friend is America Can We Talk for today. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. My show is America, Can We Talk? The website is americacanwetalk.org. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
1: America, can we talk truth about America? Can you?